Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 518. As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series, our guest today is Frederica Freddie Adelman. Fred Adelman is the director of the Smithsonian Associates and is someone I've worked with for the last six years of our wonderful Smithsonian Associates podcast series. Smithsonian Associates is the largest museum-based education program in the world, and it produces vibrant educational and cultural programming that offer unparalleled access to the Smithsonian's world of knowledge. Before her work at Smithsonian, Freddie Adelman worked on the preliminary concept planning team for the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum and served as assistant director for an independent museum of Jewish history and culture in Washington, D.C. While completing her master's degree in museum education from George Washington University, Freddie Adelman held internships at Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History and at the John Eaton Elementary School. Freddie Adelman's direct classroom experience also includes teaching middle school science and French at the Washington International School. Under Freddie Adelman's direction, Smithsonian Associates celebrated its 50th anniversary by engaging audiences of all ages in a wide range of educational and thought-provoking experiences. And today, the devastation caused by the COVID pandemic has accelerated Smithsonian Associates' efforts to offer online programming, and Smithsonian Associates plans to continue streaming well into the future. So stay tuned for that. We'll talk about Women's History Month, career advice, the upcoming Forgotten No More Rediscovering Remarkable Women presentation, and lots of other great Smithsonian-related activities. So hang in there. Enjoy this conversation. This is going to be a wonderful interview. Please join me in welcoming via internet phone a talented leader in Freddie Adelman. Frederica Adelman, Freddie Adelman, it is great to talk to you again. Welcome back to the program. Thank you, Paul. It is a pleasure to check in with you. I, I really treasure these moments when we can sit down and chat and I can fill you in on what's new and great about the Smithsonian and particularly Smithsonian Associates. Well, I love it too. And I tell you, I'm excited to be doing this. There's a lot going on, of course, with Smithsonian Associates. But I thought I'd ask just real quickly, we've all been social distancing and we've all been subject to the pandemic. My hope is that you and your family are all well, that everybody's safe and healthy. But my best to you always and just uh, just know that you know, it's good to be talking via Skype right now to one another. I look forward when we can get together, but my my best to you and your family. Well, thank you so very much. And, and the same to you and the same to all of our listeners. I know that this has been a an unbelievably challenging time for everyone. And I I sincerely hope and I'm sure that the podcast and the programming has provided some measure of relief and educational and cultural stimulation during this time when everybody is being so careful about staying home. Well, we're going to talk about that for Smithsonian Associate because there's a lot of wonderful things that you're doing. But I wanted to talk first about celebrating Women's History Month. Of course, that's coming up in March. We're talking just mm-hmm. at the end of February. Smithsonian Associates has a wonderful American Women's History Initiative, and I wondered if you'd tell us a little bit about the Women's History Initiative, because it's really important and special, and March is the month. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, you know, um, here at at Smithsonian Associates, we always look at um, sort of heritage months and big initiatives, and I'm sure you and all of our listeners are following with 
David Graff to find out the newest of our sort of emerging museums. So we are looking at just are looking at legislation to authorize a museum of American women's history. And um, that's a long way off. So not to waste a moment. In fact, even before the legislation was finalized, the Smithsonian launched the American Women's History Initiative, actually launched in 2018. Um, you can look it up under womenshistory.si.edu. And the initiative really is about telling women's stories that just haven't been told before. Um, it's an ambitious undertaking. We have a lot of collections, but they haven't been researched. They need to be documented. And they are telling stories of women and people who identify as women and their roles in building this nation. Um, we were founded with uh, the American Women's History Congressional Commission, and this goes back several years. There's a, a very uh, well-known quote that says, you know, women hold up half the sky. And when you look at museum collections, you look at uh, history books, culture, women's roles are often not forefronted or have not been. And so um, we're really excited about the, uh, the opportunity to engage in this initiative and we have curatorial staff who are working on it. We are bringing in cohorts of interns. And what we're expecting to do is basically fill gaps in the national narrative. Um, so we're, we're thrilled to be part of it. And um, Associates is running a number of programs in relation to the American Women's History Initiative, and uh, Women's History Month in, in particular. That's great. Thank you so much for that. Mm -hmm. And it's been certainly factual that women's leadership at Smithsonian Associates has really been historically very deep and, and, and rich. And so I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about the legacy of women at Smithsonian Associates, because I think that's a fascinating story, too. Thank you. Um, you know, in many ways, it's a, it's a story that reflects women in and women's career work and professional work uh, in in history. Women are um, often the ones who are charged with education. And Smithsonian Associates was established in, in 1965 as an education program for the Smithsonian Institution. And our main leaders. Um, have been women, and each one brought something very particular to the endeavor. Um, so Janet Solinger, who unfortunately recently passed away, um, although she was uh, quite elderly, and um, but she was of the generation of women who didn't reveal their age. So I think it's in it's in the the notes, but um, I'm not going to go there. But she she was. Um, really, she was. She came to the Smithsonian with the understanding that a deeper and more engaged population was was really important and fundamental, and that not everybody was in, educated in schools, and that education could take place in museums, and that museum programming for people of all ages was something important to do. And in the throughout the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, she was really at the forefront of providing 
mostly the the D.C. area with opportunities to get to know the Smithsonian, to get behind the scenes, to to and to enjoy the Smithsonian. Um, and she she was the person who established the summer camp program, for instance. Um, she was very connected with uh, emerging artists in the D.C. scene, and she established our art collectors program, um, which is a program for people who are interested in becoming art collectors, but a little bit shy maybe, and maybe not sort of ready to go into the big art scene and go to Basel or go to Miami. And so she was all about popularizing what the Smithsonian had. So we owe a lot to, to Janet's, Janet's leadership. Um, when she moved on, she retired. Our next leader was a woman named Mara Mayer and Mara, um, I'm honored to count her as a, a friend and a mentor. Um, and she brought a background from a more a, an academic background, a communications background, and an absolute solid belief in creativity. And she believed that creativity was something that could be found in thinkers of all ages. And she brought the idea to Smithsonian Associates of not only somebody coming and doing a presentation or doing an education behind the scenes background, but to expand that to have conversations with creative individuals. Um, and she is, she just believes that creativity is the source of an inquiring educational uh, informative populace. And she thinks that you can nurture creativity, you can grow it. Um, and, and that's what she brought with her to, to Smithsonian Associates. And she was with us, um, for sort of that next 10 year period. And when she retired in 2005, um, she, her, the, she asked the woman who had been the deputy director, um, Barbara Tussling to step in as director. And Barb is also a friend and a longtime colleague. And Barb brought to Smithsonian Associates and it sort of built on what, what Janet and, and Mara had already created, but she built on that foundation a love of international travel and travel, mm -hmm. armchair travel, right? And, and also travel mm -hmm. writ large, but she just looked at the opportunities in the much in the wider world, and um, that is just an incredible legacy that that we're happy to to carry on today. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, was very fortunate to, and Barb decided to retire, to be asked to step into the foundations that that these women built and take Smithsonian Associates to the next level. And uh, that's what we've been doing. I mean, one of the, the things that we've, we've been so proud about, um, especially in this last year, but I have to say that, you know, becoming a more nationally and, dare I say, internationally known mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, organization has just been uh, incredibly rewarding. And if, if there is anything to be said about this time when people are uh, at home, is it accelerated our desires to have a global platform. Um, so I, I feel really honored to be part of the, sort of the, the next step of, of stewarding this organization that is dedicated to education and, and education in a 
fun and informative way and meeting people where they are, right? We connect with our audiences and we listen to what they're telling us they want to dig more deeply into. That was a terrible (laughs) sentence, but you know what I mean. You know, it it was really a great sentence and it says so much. I love the term, this idea of armchair travel, because you've just undergone this amazing pivot as an organization with with your leadership and and you're now sharing uh, this entirely uh, deep and rich program with a new audience throughout the world. And so I, I want to just jump in and ask you, how's all that going uh, maybe tell us what's planned in 2021 and maybe give us a, a little glimpse as to perhaps what's what's coming. But what do you think it it means to have responded in the way that you have to this this devastation that's been caused by the pandemic? And and yet you've accelerated all of Associates aspirations to offer just this great online programming and do so with people everywhere who are interested in this kind of armchair travel. Thanks. So, you know, I've, I've, I've thought a lot about this. I've, I've, I've come to this work after years of, of being in the museum profession. And when you look at leadership and you look at women in leadership, often the, the talk is of collaboration and teamwork. And that's, not lip service. That's real. Smithsonian Associates could not have pivoted the way we did if we hadn't all jumped into it together. And we all did. I am, I can be at the, the, you know, sort of my name is on the masthead of the, of the program, but I have to give a hundred percent credit to our entire team. We spent a lot of time, and for us, a lot of time with a couple of weeks when we first shut down, just asking each other, what's the best thing to do? And each one, each one of my colleagues went out and explored and figured out and brought information back. And together, we made the decision that we needed to pivot and how we were going to do it and what were the best practices and what was going to work well for us. And this is an organization that really works as more closely together than any other, any other organization that I've been ever been part of. And it's partly the women leadership, but it's partly this sense of we are stronger. If we collaborate our communications team and our program development team and our business administration team, we're in constant communication, constant um, and there isn't a single person on the staff who isn't completely engaged in making this work, who everybody has the opportunity to say, this is working, this isn't working so well, let's change it. And it doesn't matter where one sits in the organization. Um, we don't, we don't hold back. We, and we, and we do it quickly. That's another thing. Sometimes people, you know, in, in some of the, the leadership or the business and sort of like, Oh, you know, if you spend too much time talking about something, you never get it done. We talk about it and then we move forward. Um, the aspiration to be online was one that was, has been in our strategic plan for the last and the last go around of our strategic plan, which we finalized a few years ago. And we just said, okay, this is something we want to do, but 
the time has to be right. And as soon as it appeared that the time was going to be right, I said, okay, this is it. We can do this now. People are going to respond to online programming and respond they have. I mean, I'm extraordinarily proud to be able to tell you that not only are we seeing people participate in our programs from all 50 states, but we have people participating from around the world. And that is extremely gratifying uh, because we can bring the Smithsonian to people's living rooms, to their, wherever they're sitting. And even, you know, if they're outside and they've got their phone with them, they can tune in. It's, it's very, very exciting. It is exciting. And you mentioned this, this uh, creativity that you've undergone as an organization. And your own leadership, of course, has forged much of this. You, you, you do um, kindly refer to your, your team, and, and I think that's true. But I wonder what you learned about yourself during this quarantine, especially over the last year that you've had to pivot. Maybe, maybe give us one, one lesson that, that, you can, that you can say you've taken away about creativity, about leadership that really has, has brought some of this about. Um. I think it's really important to not be afraid to be an advocate and, um, you know, be, be fearless in advocating for what you believe in. Um, we, I have, and I can do this because I have such a strong team, but I can say, this is what we're going to do and know that I'm speaking the truth because my team is making it happen. Um, And I can be fearless about that. I can come back to my team and say, this is where we're headed. And they can say, absolutely. And in fact, we've already gotten there and you can go further. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's really being, um, being fearless and speaking out. I mean, that is something that I've learned is really important. I, I, cannot stress strongly enough how important it is to speak out and speak up for your organization. And if somebody says something that they don't understand or they're they're questioning it, there are 10 more ways to explain it and clarify it. And that's really important. Um, And I've, I've done that throughout, throughout the year, you know, um, cultural organizations are a form of relief right? We are in a pandemic. People are hurting. They are, they've lost their jobs. They've lost their health. They're losing their loved ones. And, but they're still investing in cultural organizations for that moment of relief, for an alternate form of education, um, for an alternate way of looking at the world. Um, we saw we saw the power of poetry on display um, just recently, right? Um, that's a that's an element of culture. It, being able to look up and say, "I'm having a really tough time, but let me find out more about a bird that I see, you know, in the playground outside." Or, I, and I think we can we we provide that, and so. It's it's speaking up for the leadership of the for the organization and speaking up as the leader and saying, here are places where we can provide services, give people a moment of respite and take what the Smithsonian has to offer 
and bring it out in a, a completely mm-hmm. different way. That's very helpful. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you for some more help and some advice. I think so much has changed this last year. It kind of almost goes without saying. And mm. so many parents are working from home and grandparents have stepped up and stepped in and and it takes a village. And so yeah. grandparents are really, um, you know, assisting in, in a lot of ways that they, they perhaps haven't in the past. I think with this focus that the Smithsonian Associates now has on streaming, I want to ask you about some career advice and maybe grandparents serve an interesting role. They're a large part of our audience and they have kind of a special relationship with grandchildren. And if they're asked about career advice, what would you say about the museum profession, perhaps in general or broadly? Because there's lots of room for architects and designers and writers and doctors and lawyers and as well as museum curators and leaders like you. And so I wonder if you'd just give us perhaps a little advice that that grandparents might be able to pass along to their grandchildren about some of these career directions within within museums. Well, you know, the thing about museums, and this is something, this is one of those secrets that grandparents can pass along to their (laughs) their grands, um, is that no matter what career you're interested in, there's a job for you in a museum. Um, and I don't mm-hmm. know that people think about that. You, think, you know, no, I no. think there's a, um, a perception that you have to love art or you have to love science or you have to, you know, want to be a paleontologist. And those are really important roles. But museums couldn't operate without engineers, without electricians, without a medical staff, without architects. We need all of these careers. We need lawyers. The museum's world needs attorneys. We need people who understand real estate law, who understand corporate law, who understand contracts. You know, Smithsonian Associates does close to a thousand programs every year. Each one of those programs requires contracts. And we, you know, that's, those are the kinds of things that I think when, um, kids are thinking about like, what can I do in the world? And it may look like there's only one path. You know, I want to be a doctor. So that means I have to practice in a hospital. Well, you can be a doctor and practice in a museum. Our, our COVID team has been led by a doctor and actually a couple of doctors with two doctors because one is, um, in military. So, she can be reposted anywhere, and, and she was during the pandemic. Um, so we have two doctors who are on staff. We uh, have a whole nursing staff. So you can be a doctor, and you can practice at a museum. And, and that kind of different way of thinking, I, I think it's really scary for a kid to be asking, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? They, but they don't know. But if the talk is, you know, whatever you decide to do, there's a place for you. And the museum profession is a really, really wonderful place to be because you're surrounded by amazing artwork by people who are really dedicated to what they're doing. And it's a people profession, right? We care if we have objects, we use the objects to interpret history, but history is about people. It's about understanding human-animal relationships. We have the the Smithsonian National Zoo does a program called One Health. 
And it's one world, one health, because human health and animal health are so linked. I think we all learned that as we were looking at the pandemic. So I, I would urge anybody listening to, who's having conversations with young people about careers to think about you know, the museum profession writ large. And there's so many resources out there. Just start Googling around and look at the Alliance of American Museums, look at uh, the International Council of Museums. There are museums all over the world. And we need really wonderful, uh, strong professionals who are really interested in doing this work at all levels and in, in all streams. I could go on for a long time about that. I'm, I'm really passionate about that. I think that um, the next generation of museum people are not only uh, going to bring the education world along, but I think they're they're planning for what the future of the entire world can be. Wonderful. Well, well said, as always. I think this is going to be a subject that we're going to uh, want to address, and so we'd love to have you come back at some point and talk more of it. But I want to, I want to ask you one final question in anticipation of celebrating Women's History Month and sure. and and the great work that you're doing, especially this upcoming, just fascinating day with four experts that uh, is titled Forgotten No More, Rediscovering Remarkable Women. It just looks wonderful. And I wondered if you'd briefly tell us about it. It's an all-day event too, right? I know, I know, because there's great. so much to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, paring it down to one day was really a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> we are super excited because these are stories of women who, whose work we may be familiar with, but whose, whose stories and uh, lives we're not. So we're going to spend the morning looking at um, Judith Leister, who really was the, one of the leading painters of what we know as a you know, sort of Rembrandt's era. Hmm. Um, and we're going to look at her because she worked in this male-dominated field, and some of her work was attributed to some of the guys who were painting. So hmm. uh, Barrett Tilney is going to talk a little bit about that. And we have um, the next part of the morning, we're going to look about look at the story of Maria Sibylla Meheran, who um, was working a little around the same time, a little bit later, I guess, than, than Judith Leister. But she was a biologist, and she was a naturalist who was sketching and drawing um, and using, providing the scientific community with some brilliant discoveries. So we'll talk a little bit about her. And those are European women. And then we'll give you a break. And then in the afternoon, we're going to look at progressive politics and women in blues and jazz. Mm. So in the politics, we're going to talk about Eugenia Burns Hope, who was uh, an activist in Atlanta in the 1920s. And we're going to look at the story of Rose Schneiderman, who was a labor activist. Um, she ran she, she ran for office as a socialist, but she ended up serving for FDR's New Deal. Um, so that's a name to, to look for. And then we're going to look for a feminist activist who was also involved in the New, New Deal, um, and her name is Josephine Roche. So that's a pro-labor name that, that you might know about. Um, mm-hmm. 
she she was actually one of the people who uh, ran a coal company in Colorado. Um, yeah, so very very interesting politics. And then the day is going to cap off with some mostly mostly women in music. So I think you may have read recently about Big Mama Thornton. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll hear a little bit about. Her recordings of Hound Dog and uh, the, the the big the story there. I think we've we've been hearing a little bit about it, but we're filling in in a couple of secrets. Uh, we're going to talk about Barbara Lynn, uh, the Empress of Gulf Coast Soul, and Big Maybell, who was born um, in Jackson, Tennessee, and um, she was a 1950s artist. She just embraced a number of different styles throughout her, her 20 year career. So she's known for ballads and uh, blues, jazz, R and B. So, you know, we'll, we'll start the morning with painting and we'll move through scientific illustration and politics and labor. And we'll end with a rousing musical hmm. afternoon. So I hope a lot of people will join us for that. It's, it's going to be, Fantastic, and as I said, hard hard to keep it to uh, to just one one day. So, yeah, we're we're excited about it. Yeah, that is exciting. We're going to put links up to where our audience can find out more information about the all day program, titled "Forgotten No More: Rediscovering Remarkable Women." We have been with the remarkable Freddie Adelman, and thanks so much for your time for being so generous. We'll put links up to where our audience can find out more about Freddie Adelman, as well as the women's history.si. .edu link and Freddie we would love to have you back and uh, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you you're just doing such great work my best to you my best to all the team there that works so hard and puts these wonderful programs together to stream this great information to so many around the world we need it we just need it right now and so thanks for doing this it's our pleasure Paul thank you and thank you for all the great work you're doing not all better (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you my thanks to freddie adelman director of smithsonian associates my thanks to the smithsonian associates team for all they do to support the podcast and my thanks to you my dear not old better show audience for your company today i hope you join me next time be safe be healthy and please practice smart social distancing and remember let's talk about better the not old better show thanks everybody 